Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who has who was killed between the, the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You, you yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, LLC. It's good to see you on this uh, sunny and rainy as the atmospheric river. I was talking to Sarah uh, in our congregation just before this. Uh, atmospheric river is a real term. The geographer nerd, uh, it's a real thing, a river in the sky, giving the moisture down. Uh, and it's really been bog, uh, bothering me that in Vancouver we get a lot of rain and usually there's a lot of sprinkle, sprinkling, but it's been like heavy, heavy, heavy. So I hope that hasn't been taking you down <laughs> and that you're emotionally and mentally uh, doing okay. Uh, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here at LLC. It's a privilege to deliver the word. And if I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you after service. But as we go into the word now, uh, let's just pray. Father, uh, God, we thank you for this house that you have built and that you are the foundation of. And today, God, as we come before you, Lord, may you give us a heart of humility in your word uh, to encounter you and to hear from you. So, Lord, whatever weeks we've had, God, may we just sense your peace and your presence now. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to comprehend you and your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you draw close and that you're, you loved us first so that we can respond and have this relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
I was in a waiting room this week, uh, not in the hospital or any kind of waiting room like that, but a waiting room uh, waiting for my car, uh, my car to be serviced. And my routine is when I drop off the car, I go in, and of course, I, being a coffee guy, I go to the complimentary coffee, uh, get you know one or two, you know, I try to stop uh, at that, uh, and then fill, fill in uh, my, uh, and have some coffee and sit down. I brought my laptop to do some work because they told me it's going to be a couple hours, so I have my drink there, I have my laptop there, and I open it up, and I was going to work on this sermon. I was excited to have a couple hours of just, you know, getting at it and getting to the Word. And as I, I took a cup of uh, my coffee, and I took off my mask to take a sip, uh, a few seconds later, a woman comes up to me, uh, just to the left, and she was sitting maybe two or three chairs down, and I was on the booth, and she comes up to me, and she's like, hey, you're supposed to wear a mask in here. How would you respond? <laughs> at that moment. And in that moment, I could feel all sorts of emotions. I was like, well, I just, you know, want, you know, some drink. I'm like, how do I drink my coffee? You know, with, with, with my mask on, I just took it off for a little, 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 little bit, and I, you know, had a little bit of a back and forth, not really much of an argument. Uh, but then I put, put on my mask, uh, and I sat there, and I didn't really drink the coffee uh, <laughs> the rest of the time until she left. Um, and it was interesting there, because I could have thought about all sorts of replies in that moment, like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I just got ordained, okay, like two weeks ago. Do you know who I am? Do you know I am the Reverend Douglas Wong? At that point, she would have been like, who? <laughs> I don't care who you are. Ordained, by the way, I was speaking to uh, some friends of mine. It's like, ordained, is that like becoming a Jedi or something like that? Like, you know, you come reach the next level of like holiness or something like that? Um, it's like becoming a Jedi. I had spoke to someone else in our congregations, like, hey, you got ordained. Like, Doug, like, no, Doug, I'm so sorry. We lost, uh, we lost you as our pastor because you became our reverend. And I'm like, no, I'm still a pastor. Uh, I'm still a pastor here in the city. And it's interesting here, the irony of it was, as I was thinking about all these thoughts in my heart, was that I was prepping for this sermon. I was prepping on the sermon of Jesus' words to the Pharisees and the experts of the law, and it speaks to this real wrestling inside of our heart of when pride takes up and pride takes root. So this morning, as I'm speaking on this word, I come before you as a person that is wrestling with this as well, as a person that's wrestling with the word, wrestling with humility, wrestling with what it means to be God's people, to be a Christian, to live out our faith. So I'm standing here definitely saying, definitely, I'm not an expert, expert in the word, an expert in the faith, a professional Christian, whatever that means, that I come with my own sinfulness and my own brokenness and my own hurts and my own pain. And maybe this sermon will speak to you as it has been speaking to me. And we're continuing a series called Meals with Jesus, where we're looking at particular passages particular passages through the passage, a gospel of Luke, where Jesus has meals with people, and there have been many of them. Meals with people, and these passages we're looking at today is how the Pharisees, they invite Jesus over, Jesus over for a meal, uh, except this meal wasn't a kind invitation. It wasn't like, I really want to have a meal with you, Jesus. It was actually to trap him. It was to force him to say certain things, to do certain things so that they could catch him and trap him and, 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 and uh, arrest him. And throughout this whole series, we've been learning as a church, and our prayer for our church is this, that it's not only to learn what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, but to learn what he desires. It's also been to learn that we don't want to be a people that just look like Jesus on the outside, but we want to be a people that deeply need Jesus, 
that deeply need Him in our everyday when we go to work, when we go to school, when the moment we wake up to when we sleep, that we wake up and we live with this urgency of needing Him today. And in the time that Luke was written, the Pharisees that we're speaking about today, they had a, a big problem. And this big problem was the distance they had, this huge disconnect with the people around them. That the, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were these spiritual elites, and everyone else around them were down below. Down below, there's this huge disconnect that they treated everyone as spiritual inferiors. That they don't know anything, they can't read the word, they don't, can't discern the will of God, so they walked around with this pride. And how did they maintain this? Well, it all had to do with the outside, how they looked and how they acted, and that was what was most important for them. See, here's the thing. Uh, if you're on social media, you never post a bad picture of yourself, right? You know, you never post that terrible picture of yourself, and if someone does, you probably are thinking, you know, you shouldn't post something like that. <laughs> you know, choose a little bit better a photo of, of yourself, and I think I can share this. I didn't ask him for permission, but, you know, I think he's going to be okay with this. He's a senior pastor uh, here before at Lord's Love, and I love the photos that he posts because uh, when he posted on Facebook, and I don't think he's on, he's on Instagram, but he posted on Facebook, it would be a selfie of him and his wife, and he'll be, be, <laughs> he'll be walking along the river, wherever it is, he'll be like, we are standing beside the river now. Blank face, no smile, and he's like, this is a selfie. <laughs> I can't even copy it. He's like, this is a selfie with our family. We're having so much fun. That's the caption, and no one is smiling uh, in the photo. And I'm thinking about that. Yeah, like, that's great. Like, that's just who they are. You know, I, I don't doubt, he's actually a really fun person, him and his wife and the whole family. We get along really well, and it's hilarious in these photos. But that's how they are in that moment. The photo that they took is a photo of how they actually are. But back in the day with these Pharisees, they're so busy caring about what they look like on the outside that they forget how to deal with what's going on on the inside. That they're so busy putting on an image, making sure they look proper and look right, that they forget what's most important in their heart. They forget how they're feeling, what they're experiencing, how's their spiritual life going. They forget about all those aspects of their lives. And I'm hoping that we'll see this in the text today, that simply it's this big idea, that Jesus wants the real you. That Jesus wants the real you, that the real you is welcome in God's kingdom. No facade, no masks, nothing to hide behind, but Jesus wants the real you. Why? Because that's how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus let people in on his life. People didn't go to Jesus necessarily because he was holy and perfect, because they didn't understand who he was yet. They didn't seek him out for that. They went to Jesus because Jesus was authentic, and he was real, and he was himself. And in today's passage here, the passage contains six woes. Six woes that parallel to that and found in Matthew 26. And these six woes are really six warnings of what happens when we don't live according to who we really are and what it looks like when we put on this mask. And this word that Jesus used for woe, it's, it means a state of intense hardship or distress. So woe to you if you live in this way, that intense hardship and distress is going to await you. In other words, Jesus is giving a warning to those Pharisees and teachers of the law and to us today, how greatly one will suffer if you keep living in this way. What terrible pain will come to one who continues to live in this way. I remember in 
second year university, my grades weren't doing very well, and I received a letter. I can't remember if it was physical or an email, but I received this letter, and it, it, said, it said academic probation on it. And for those that have gone through university and undergrad, you know what that means. And I read it, and I almost went to tears. My mind started going off into all different sorts of places. Justin and I just started dating. Uh, my wife now, and I'm like, this is it. She's not going to want me anymore. My life is over. We're not going to pursue that life. No one's going to want me. I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to, you know, whatever. My mind started projecting and going all these sorts of places. And I remember how big of a wake-up call that moment was for me, reading that letter. And you see, that letter was sent by the university, and I don't think they sent it in hate. They sent it as a warning. They didn't want you to flunk out. I remember them providing some resources in the bottom. It's like, hey, if you need help, these people and these resources are there for you to help you to make studies manageable. So here today, I, I really think it's in a similar light that Jesus' words are coming to us with, that these are stern and serious words that Jesus speaks of, but it's not only because Jesus is saying this for no reason, but it's actually for our own good. It's actually for our own thriving. Jesus is painting a picture of what it looks like not to, how not to flourish so that we can flourish. And the passage starts like this in verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. As we mentioned before, the Pharisees were looking to trap Jesus. And if he really wanted to have a conversation with Jesus, this Pharisee really wanted to speak with Jesus, just pull him aside. No, just have a private conversation with him. But here, no, he's hoping to invite his friends as well to trap Jesus and to, to force him to do uh, something that they could accuse him of. And then they've caught Jesus right in the very beginning, right when he steps in doing something that he wasn't supposed to do, which was he did not wash, the ceremonial washing that most Pharisees and scribes and, and Sadducees and teachers of the law and any holy person does when they walk into a place, which is have a washing because to separate them from the world to the inside, in the house. So the question is, did Jesus forget? Did Jesus forget about this? Did Jesus just actually didn't care about washing or was he just really hungry? So he's like, I don't care. I'm just going to go right in. See, in thinking they got Jesus to walk into a trap, I believe this. It was actually Jesus who was in control the whole time. They thought they trapped Jesus, but Jesus was in control the whole time, knowing fully what they're trying to do. So he's like, if you're looking for something, I'm going to do something so I can start a real conversation. Start a real conversation about what's going on here. So in verse, uh, so we read this. Then the Lord said to him, in verse 39, uh, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people did not, uh, you foolish people did not the one who made the outside make the inside as well. But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. I'm not sure if I mixed up the slides or not, but that's in verses uh, 39 uh, to 41. Don't just worry about the outside of, uh, don't just worry about the outside of the dish. Worry about what's on the inside as well. Don't just worry about cleaning what's on the outside. Don't just worry about dressing proper and acting proper, but worry about what's happening on the inside. I remember teaching Cohen how to wash dishes uh, to make it a little bit more enjoyable. I invited him in to wash dishes, and he just, you know, my six-year-old son, I think he was four then, I took the cups, it was like, you know, you know, it's kind of this you know, splashing water, washing the outside, and then we'll put it on the rack, right? And on the inside of the cup, it was all grimy, 
you know, on his soup bowls, all the bits still there, the soap is still soaking in, and had to teach him, hey, no, you're supposed to wash inside and outside. That's not just enough just to wash it outside of the bowl. And I'm pretty sure when I learned how to wash dishes, that was something very similar. I remember a conversation with my mom after I washed dishes like that. My mom's like, you know what? If you don't want to wash dishes properly, then you eat of these dishes. Uh, <laughs> and I think she might have followed through with that. Uh, so parenting tip, if that's how you want to get your sons and daughters how to learn how to wash dishes properly, maybe that's something uh, you want to pursue. But here, Jesus' point, you have to wash not just the outside, but also the inside. The inside is the most important thing. Because why? Righteousness and cleanliness, righteousness of our spirit and our souls, is not about the external actions, but internal attitudes. It's not just about the external actions, but, but about the internal attitudes, about what's going on inside of us, which, by the way, none of us can really see into each other's hearts, but God himself. So Jesus doesn't just look to the superficial, but Jesus looks down to the spiritual, looks down and says, that's what's most important. It doesn't matter what ministries we're serving in. It doesn't matter where we live or how we talk. What matters is what's in our heart and what's going on inside of us and our relationship and how our spirit is doing, how our soul is doing. That's because what we do on the outside, know this to be true, that's because what we do on the outside doesn't change who we are on the inside. It's the other way around. The way to make the outside clean, as Jesus is trying to get at, is to make the inside clean. He talked about this in a couple of verses just before this. He's talking about the light and what it means to have this light inside of you, that if you have this light inside of you, then light will shine out. But if you have this darkness inside of you, then this darkness will shine out. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the, mouth, uh, what the heart is full of. Maybe you're part of a generation too where if you spoke a foul word, your parents would give you to scrub your mouth with, with what? With soap, right? To clean out your mouth. Uh, I used to talk a lot, which is ironic now that I'm a preacher. Uh, but I used to talk a lot and my mom's like, stop, you know, we need some quiet <laughs> in the house a little bit. I wouldn't listen. I'd run around, make a ton of noise. And as a practical joke, she put a piece of tape over my mouth. And I thought to be hilarious because my mouth was a little bit open and this drool was just going everywhere. And the tape just fell off by itself because uh, that was the situation. See, putting a tape on my mouth and scrubbing my mouth doesn't change what's going on inside, right? I still wanted to talk. Right? Scrubbing the mouth doesn't automatically mean the language coming out of our mouth is going to be cleaner. No, it's about changing what's on the inside. And that affects what happens on the outside. Jesus isn't interested in people who look perfect. He's interested in the real you. Brokenness, sin, and all to come before him and acknowledge that it is Jesus that we need. Not ourselves, not to give more strength and more power and to think harder. It's to come before God and to trust him. So here we go. I haven't gone into the woes yet even. Uh, he goes into six woes here that he gives the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. 42, verse 42, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. 
In other words, what he's saying is that you guys are so good about doing the nitty-gritty kind of things, especially in tithing, that you would take things like the mint and the rue and all the kinds of garden herbs, in other words, the smallest of garden plants. Every, every, you guys grow mint, mint leaves right at home? They're not very big. You take the tiniest mint leaves and you would tithe that as well. But you forget the big things. You forget things like justice. You forget things like the love of God. I like how the God, uh, Matthew uh, speaks of this account in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So here Jesus is saying that, you know what, don't just, yes, you should worry about those other big things as well. But on these minor things, you're majoring on the minors instead of majoring on the major things that God is seeking and, and, and requesting of you. Because as we live out this life, that what ought to flow from us is love and justice and mercy and for the things of the world that breaks God's heart ought to break our heart as well. That when we tithe, when we give, when we serve, when we do anything for anyone, if it's not motivated by love, then it is futile. That's not coming from a good place. But the Pharisees, they, again, majored on the minor things. They did all these things. Why? To show people, but they didn't reveal what was going on inside of them. It's like how we give God our Sundays or whatever else you, you want to call your religious and spiritual time, but we forget about the rest of the week. That other people might see those moments, but we forget that we're not called just to give a moment of our lives, but we're called to give all of us, every part of our lives to this Jesus. And here, Jesus convicts the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of this. A second woe in verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful, respectful greetings in the marketplaces. See, it's dangerous to care about our reputation more than we care about our own character. When we start caring about what other people think and what they know about us, what they see about us more than our character and what God sees about our hearts, we go into this dangerous place where we start living in the spiritual way of we're being a spiritual elite and everyone else around us is below us. It's dangerous to live in that way. And I like how W.W. Wearsby, he says it like this in his commentary, reputation is what people think we are. But character is what God knows we are. Reputation is what people think we are, but character, that is what God knows we are. Because God knows the heart. God knows what's on the inside. God knows what we're thinking and what we're experiencing. I've been sharing this with people around me of a book that was recently recommended to me. By, uh, it was a book called Under an Unpredictable Plant. It's one of, the, one, one of the most amazing books I've read that's really been paradigm shifting for me in the last couple of weeks. And it's written by Eugene Peterson. If you want a copy of it, I have a copy. I'll love to lend it to you. But he talks about the tendency as Christians, whether we're Christian leaders or just Christians in general for a very long time, uh, there's a tendency for us to either seek out other better experiences where we can't stay put, we can't stay grounded and, and listen and to wait for God to act. There's that tendency. But also there's the other side where we do stay, but pride takes over. Pride takes over and starts confusing us, that we start confusing what we think with what God thinks. 
that we, what, whatever it is that we think, we actually think that's what God thinks. And we start living that out without slowly discerning our heart and our motives. And I think it comes back down to this with what Jesus is saying, that we really care about what other people are thinking, that the root of it is this pride that stops us from thinking that we could possibly be wrong. That maybe, maybe that I am also blind, that I don't see things properly. So Jesus says, woe to you, because you just want those seats. You just care about your reputation, but you don't care about your character. Verse 44, woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. And this would have shocked the Pharisees. They would have gasped at this moment, because they are all about cleaning, right? Jesus didn't clean. That's why they walk. They, they started this conversation to begin with. And they were especially careful to walk around graves because the clean cannot mix with the unclean, which is the dead body. So you, you, they were to avoid that at all costs. So the Pharisees cared a lot about this. But Jesus' point here is simply this. I won't spend too much time here. It's that they were unconsciously defiling others when they thought they were actually helping them to be holier. So by unmar- having the, like, un- like these unmarked graves... They thought they were trying to do their best. They thought they were helping others to become holier, but they were actually becoming the stumbling block. That they were the ones that were causing them to experience pain. Instead of helping, they were actually hurting. Why? Because it stemmed from this pride of what they think they're doing is best. Instead of seeking out what God is doing and what God calls them to do. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him. I love this point. I love this part. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus is probably thinking, good. (laughs) Good, because now I got your attention too. And at that point, the experts of the law were like, I shouldn't have said anything. I shouldn't have said anything. It's like that kid, you know, that, that, that sibling that tells on the other sibling, right? Mom, dad, no, this is what, you know, this is what he or she, my brother and sister is doing. And they're like, da, 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 da. and then they'll say, see, I told you so. And then the parents are like, you too. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this as well. Yeah, da, 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 da. So here in this moment, the experts in the law are caught in, in this as well. He's, he's saying, Jesus, like, don't get me started. But since you got me started, let's go there. Verse 46, and Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. In other words, you experts in the law who are experts in the law, experts in the word, experts in uh, deciphering and parsing every Greek and Hebrew word, you that are experts in the word, you point out other people's shortcomings, but you're not even willing to help them. You go around pointing the finger, and it's easy to point the finger and tell people how to change, but this whole other story to actually walk alongside of them. To walk alongside of them. It's another thing to point out their mess. It's another thing to walk with them through their mess and through their transformation. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you point out people's weaknesses, but you're not willing to walk alongside of them to really do the hard work, the hard relational work of being alongside people around you. And we think to ourselves, when was the last time? I think about this. It's convicting to me. When was the last time where we voluntarily put ourselves out there to help someone? Where it was difficult. It costed us our inconvenience. It costed us our time. It was out of the way. And it costed us our comfort. And that's where God is calling us 
into, where we really put ourselves out there. And my prayer for us as a church is how, there, how whenever there is a need in our community and beyond, that we will put up our hand, we will say, we're not just going to point it out, we're not just going to look at it from afar, but we're going to walk alongside with you, just as Jesus walked, to love you, not to condemn you, to want get to know you, the real you, and not laugh and mock or think, man, that's terrible of you. Why would you do something like that? No judgment. That as a church, that we will walk alongside of others and say, let's deal with this together. Let's walk alongside each other together. Your pain is my pain. Your joy is my joy, but when you're in pain, I'm hurting alongside with you, and I'm going to walk alongside with you. Not because that's just what I'm supposed to do on the outside, but because of the core of my being, I care. And I feel, and I experience, and I want to be alongside of you. And we're called to that. We're called to walk alongside of each other in each other's mess. But woe to you, because you, to the experts in the law, because you built tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors, ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. If you want to be an expert of the law, I'll send you to the one who the law reflects. And I'll quote from him instead because God knows what it is that he is doing. In verse 50 here, Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel, who was the first martyr recorded for us in Scripture, to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed be be between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all between the altar and the sanctuary. In other words, in a holy place, this is where exper Zechariah experiences pain. And Jesus is not saying that the teachers of the law literally killed off the Old Testament prophets. But what he is saying is that people like the experts of the law killed off the prophet, Old Testament prophets. It was people like you with this kind of character, with this kind of attitude that cared about what's on the outside. That's been stopping the progress of God. But God in his wisdom knew that beforehand and used that for his advantage and used that to, for his glory and for his will because that's the goodness and the grace of God. And this ought to wreck us this morning that our actions and our thoughts can impact a whole generation. That our thoughts and our whole actions, the way we think, what's happening on the inside, can impact a whole generation. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known as being part of a generation that does that. That doesn't seem like a very good legacy uh, to leave. So we ought to be careful. We ought to come before God in humility with the words that we use, with the thoughts that we have, with the actions that we take, lest we impact negatively a whole generation. And some of you, some of you here sitting today are the only Christian in your family. It's such weight. Such weight, but also such privilege and opportunities for change. I want to encourage you, whether you are that one Christian or you represent a small a, a, a ratio of your family or in your workplaces or in your friendships that God is calling you to represent him. And it starts with acknowledging the real you. As you wrestle with your own brokenness, others will be attracted to that. Not because we are on a high horse, 
and we're on a spiritual, we're spiritual elites, but because we come in humility and our brokenness and all, saying that I am also human, that is attractive, and that would, that, that would change nations, and that would change generations. And woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. Just as how they impacted the whole generation doubling down on this, that you hold the key in a good way and in a bad way. There's two ways of taking away the key to this knowledge, and I think one of it is being unprepared, that if you're a leader here in the church, that our unpreparedness affects the people we're leading, whether it's through teaching or any other leading capacity, that our unpreparedness can actually take away the key. We can take away the presence and the experience of people coming before Jesus because of what it is that we are doing. But secondly, I think this is true as well, that the arrogant attitude that only trained leaders understand the will and the word of God also takes away the key. That's only professional Christians that understand the will of God. It's only the pastor that can preach. It's only the leader that can lead. It's only the, the Sunday school teacher that can teach God's word. No, here we understand as God's people that the same spirit is in each and every single one of us. That we're not to remove that key from people. The teachers of the law were telling people that no one could really understand the word of God unless they're really skilled. And if they were questioned, any questions at all, it was seen as challenging their expertise and challenging their authority. And the word of God is interpreted and applied to the followers from the expert of the law's point of view onto the followers. But if they didn't obey it, it's as if they weren't obeying God themselves. But here, I'm standing before you as a pastor and as a Christian that I'm not God. Yes, we're speaking from this word together. We come under the word, and when we, we come under the word and we, we hear from God together, it's dangerous as Christians when we assume the position of God ourselves. And the more, it becomes more dangerous the longer it is that we become Christian. And it's true, you might be thinking, well, Doug, does that mean I don't need to study? No, it's true. We need to study, and I hope it's obvious that I'm not against training, that I'm not against seminaries and scholarships and studying in universities. They're, no, they're, they're part of the key, but they're not the key because Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key and we invite people to come around Jesus together. As Christians, we all have the same spirit living inside of us. So the most important thing isn't how much we know. The most important thing for us as Christians, as we come before Jesus as the real us, the most important thing when we come before God is a heart that's submitted and obedient to him. That's how we help people experience Christ. As we humbly bow down to Christ, we invite others into that as well. I don't know how you're feeling, but maybe similarly to how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are feeling. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. They were upset. The trap didn't work. It backfired. Thankfully, it was inside the house. It wasn't outside with 5,000 people. It's still contained. It's okay. But you can't keep the word of God contained. The word of God, it spreads because the word of God, it's good and it makes its way to the deepest and darkest of human hearts and transforms landscapes. That is who our God is. 
And here today, this morning, the call for us, the call for us is that it's time for us to stop living undercover. And as the church, to come forward before God with who we are, our brokenness, sin, and all, because Jesus wants the real you. And the real you is welcome in this place. In our inability to become open and vulnerable, we've seen here in this passage that it doesn't just affect us in our own life, but affects the ability for other people to be open and vulnerable. And, and I want to challenge us that maybe your openness and vulnerability will allow others around you to be open and vulnerable for them to become the real them. Because when we don't live out the real us, we miss out on the reality. We miss out on the reality that awaits us. And I've said this time and time again, that one of my greatest fears as a pastor and as, as a leader and as a fellow Christian in our church is that one day that some of us would stand before Jesus and he would say, away from me because I never knew you. That is one of my greatest fears as a pastor. And that is something I do not want any of us to ever experience. So here, the warning is clear, but it's also an invitation. Stop hiding because at the end of it all, among with the other people we affect that are going to be hurt from this, you are going to be hurt ultimately. You are going to be the one that's impacted because Jesus wants the real you. I'll leave you with this passage here in Romans 8, 1 to 11. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Stop hiding. Start abiding in him. Stop hiding and stop com start coming into the presence and the peace of Jesus because where Jesus is, that is the safest place to be. And as people that have encountered this peace and this safety, that's how we go out into the world and impact others. Last night, I got an opportunity to attend a Testo, which is a worship arts ministry here in Vancouver. I wasn't planning on going. Uh, Time-wise, it didn't really work out. I had a busy ministry schedule going into this weekend and into next weekend, so I'm like, I couldn't go. But then they send a call out saying, hey, tickets actually, there's still a couple of tickets left, and it ends at 5 p.m., so if you're seeing this message before 5, you can probably buy a ticket. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. Jess uh, rushed home from work, and, uh, and, and we quickly exchanged uh, no, the kids. Uh, so, uh, and, and then I, I went off. I was late for half an hour, and I arrived just during the testimony sharing time. And it was a series of three testimonies that were shared. And I was sitting there. I was rushing. I was pouring. I'm like, what am I doing here? And I just sat down quietly and prayed, Lord, I have so much going on right now. Why do you want me here? Why do you want me here? And I sensed this is what God was saying to me. God was saying this, Doug, I want you to see what vulnerability looks like. I want you to see what it looks like when someone's identity is so secure in Christ that they're so unashamed to tell of their darkest sins and secrets. And there I witnessed story after story of the brokenness and the pain and everything that they've gone through, things that you would say you shouldn't tell people, don't you have any dignity? But there in that moment as people shared one after another saying, I've been set free by Jesus and if the best you got is shame, 
it compares to nothing to the freedom and the peace and the love that I've experienced in Christ. So I'm going to tell of the people of this testimony. I'm going to tell of people of this world. And as I witness that vulnerability there, I can sense and see people around me, their, their, their hearts changing and their hearts shifting. That as one person was vulnerable, sharing from the platform, this, this encouraged vulnerability in the people around them. That out of the safety of our relationship with God, that it is only out of the safety of our relationship with God do we dare do great things. And I saw that on display. And they were everyday people like me and you. So I want to encourage us as I end now that God has built in you a story, a testimony. That in here today, God is writing, has written, is writing, will continue to write a story of his love and grace. Do you know that story? Have you experienced them? Experienced him? And are you keeping that story to yourself? Because it might, it just might, and I believe and I have faith that it's going to transform the people around you. As you tap into that, you acknowledge Jesus for what he has done in your life. Let's pray. Father, in light of the warning, in light of the stern and serious words this morning, we know that there are words of love and words of grace. That Jesus, you didn't come to condemn us, but you came to save us. So Father, though this morning we might be feeling the full weight of our sin, God, we give it to you now. Because you have washed it clean. Because your body has been broken so that we can be made whole. And Father, we want that wholeness this morning. Jesus, may we be real before you. May we experience you for who you really are. God, may you help us to take down our guard. And maybe it's because we've done it before and we've been hurt by others. Maybe it's because of our pride. Maybe we feel like if we let out our own brokenness that other people will look down on us. But God, it's just me and you right now at this moment. We bow down before your cross and we acknowledge all of us before you. May we hear the voice of the shepherd that is kind, that is loving, that is good, saying that we are worthy, that we are known. Help us to live out a life. Help us to live a life unashamed of who we are and to become the real us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.